to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. good in here and I got to be real with you man um I told first chair I didn't I didn't really kind of go into it but I was nervous all right and it's not you that makes me nervous you guys look amazing it's it's this giant of the faith sitting over here on the first row pastor Rex Johnson has been my whole life one of my favorite preachers and that's real talk my whole life and if you're a guest here today and this is your first time, and you have never heard Pastor Rex Johnson preach, you owe it to yourself to come back and hear one of the greatest men of faith deliver the Word of God. I'm, I mean that with all of my heart. He, has, he helped shape me my whole life, and uh, I appreciate him and his family doing such an incredible job here at the church. And then all of the staff, mentioned Brandy, good friends of ours. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I know that... All of you have taken time out to be here, and I'm honored that you came out today. And I'm excited about what God's going to do today. I believe if, you, if you've walked in here carrying something, you can leave it at the feet of Jesus today, and everything can change. In the next 30 minutes, everything can change. I've been reading a book by a guy named Stephen Furtick, and the title of the book is Greater. And that's what I'm going to preach to you about today, just the 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 power of what God has called you to. It's something greater. It says, dream bigger, start smaller, ignite God's vision for your life. Because here's the thing. Behind the scenes in your life, God is He's working. He's planning. He's got a vision. He's got a hope. He has a dream for you. But you've got to walk in it. At some point, your life is going to intersect with his dream, and when it does, everything changes. I believe that God has something greater for us today. We are 27 days into the new year, and I know a lot of people start the new year with grandiose dreams and plans and ideas. How many of you guys came up with New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. You came up with New Year's resolutions? That's awesome. Six of you. That's great. God bless you. Your lives are going to be changed. The rest of you, I, have, I can't do anything for you. I'm Okay, I'm going to be a motivational speaker now. It's okay. God bless you. You're dismissed. Um, I'm playing. We have grandiose plans and ideas. In fact, in November, my, uh, I talked to my wife and I said, Babe, I'm going to do something different this season, this holiday season, this Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Things are going to change my life. I am not going to eat like I usually eat. During this time. And she said, okay. <laughs> I said, no, for real, for real. It's going to happen. Real talk. I'm making a commitment. It's going to happen. She said, okay. And November 1, I was like, ooh, pumpkin pie. Ah, you know. 
And then, and then Christmas time, my, my father pastors uh, an 80-something-year-old church that my grandfather pastored. And the, the, the culture of the church is in North Louisiana. And the culture of the church, and I don't know if the same culture exists here, but if it doesn't, it, it should. Um, every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, the ladies in the church and some men who bake bring a plethora of sugary goodness to my parents' house. And, and it's that my dad has an eight-foot table in the study, and it's just all over the table. And literally, you can, like, they have different ladies who, who bake different things, and there's di- different sections of the table. And, like, I know which ladies are anointed and which ladies are like, no, no, she's not, mm. she needs She needs to pray and fast some more. But this woman of, woman of God right here. <laughs> And I don't know why it is, but like every time I walked by the table, I would stop and I would kind of look around to see if anybody saw me. And then we're like, and just taste everything. And my parents, my mother has these frozen mugs in the freezer. It's not for beer or alcoholic beverages. It's for milk. (laughs) Whenever you pour milk in there and you leave it sitting for a minute, get some ice chips and you take some of those chocolate covered Oreos. Thank you, Jesus. And so... So after I'd gained like 30 pounds between Thanksgiving and uh, December 25th, my wife and I talked and we said, we, we looked at each other and we said, babe, we're going to commit the beginning of this year, no, Dece- uh, January 1, we're going to stop eating like that. We're going to change our habits. We lo- I love you. I love you too. I love you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to commit to you too. We're going to be healthy. I'm going to be healthy for you. We want to grow old together. Be healthy. Be healthy. No more fried food. We're going to eat clean. No more sugar. No more processed food. And we're going to watch the complex carbohydrates. I don't even know what that means. We're going to eat kale. I don't even know what that is. Can I put ketchup on it, please? No sugar. So we, 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 we talked and we, you know, it's this, this commitment to each other. January 1 and on January 4th, I got with a buddy of mine. He's, a, he's a, one of our worship leaders. He came over. We were going to do some meetings and uh, errands around town. And it was about noon. We got together and I said, hey, bro, let's go eat lunch. And he looked at me. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's frustrating when it happens. Because I was like, hey, where do you want to go eat? He goes, you choose. I'm fasting. Appreciate that. You could have told a brother. I'd have eaten something before you got here. Because I'm a pastor. I can't be cruel and be like, all right, you're fasting. I'm not. Cracker Barrel. You know, I. <laughs> mm, this chicken fried steak is good. God bless you. You know. I don't know about you, but fasting is not. Listen, some preachers will come up and they'll. God calls me to fast. I'll fast till my belly button falls off. I'm not that guy. When God calls me to fast, I'm like, Really? Okay. How long? An hour? Two? If I forget to eat, I'll claim it. I'll be like, I, you know, I fasted. I forgot to eat breakfast. That's count it. <laughs> oh, dear God, help me, Jesus. So we, so we, yeah, I said, well, look, I'll do what you're doing today. Where, where are you, what can, what can you do? He said, well, I, you know, Smoothie King has a smoothie that's like super clean and I can drink that. And I was like, okay, I'll do that with you. So we go to Smoothie King. He gets air in a cup pretty much. They squeeze some rose petals or something. And he's like, ooh, it's delicious. You know, and I, I looked at the guy. I'm like, seriously, I need you to grind up like 12 bananas, a steak, some mashed potatoes. Don't put anything green in mine. I mean, I want carbs, you know. I had two hands with mine. I'm like, you know, and he drinks his for three hours. He's like, it's delicious. Mine, a minute and a half, it was gone, you know. And after three hours, I got to be real. I was like, dude, I'm for real. I wasn't prepared to fast. I, my stomach is like punching me. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, man. Do you mind if I stop and get something? He said, stop and get something. I'll watch you eat, brother. 
self-righteous. So I stopped at a place that I knew would not, it would not tempt him. I stopped at McDonald's. You know, I got a little bitty old small, little bitty old small little cheeseburger, a little small little fry that they don't even fill all the way up to make you angry. Does that ever make you angry? You get home, you pull them out, and, and your wife accuses you of eating fries on the way home. You're like, I didn't eat your fries. They didn't fill the bag up. They didn't. It's like a bag of nachos and it feels full and you open up and there's three in there. Paid 99 cents for that. So I got, <laughs> that wasn't even in the notes. We're getting ready to have fun. So, so I got that, you know, I got this little, and then I got a cup of water because, I, you know, sweet tea is tempting and whatever. So I got water and then the phone rings. It's my wife. I said, hey, baby. She said, where are you at? I said, I'm at McDonald's. She said, where? I went, oh, dear God. She said, what did you order? I said, a fruit cup and a parfait. She was like, liar. And I was like, I'm sorry. She said, throw it away. And I like started rustling the background. I was like, I threw it away. She said, you're a weak man. Don't come home. <laughs> I slept at the church for like three nights. It was sad. We're in counseling. God's working us through it. <laughs> the fun, funny thing is, that, have you ever tried to do something great and then got in your own way? Made a promise, this is what's going to happen, and then, you know, just falls apart, and it's your fault. You'd like to blame somebody else, but you can't because you're the one who did it. This doesn't just happen in, in, in my eating life. Sometimes this happens in my spiritual life. I want to do something great. I believe that God has called me to do something great. I make promises. I talk to God. I fast. I pray, and then I fail. Or, or, or then I find somebody who's doing it way better than me. I went to... Uh, Last summer, I got an opportunity to go to Lakewood. They had a, a Hope and Life conference, and it was awesome. Um, Christine Kane from Hillsong, Australia, was preaching. They were so sweet to me. They put me on the front row. You know, I was sitting up there with all the pastors, our legs crossed, you know, this. And I had my notes. I was, mm, oh, praise God, you know, just journaling or whatever. And, uh, and she gets up there, and she's preaching, and she says, Lately, God's been waking me up. <laughs> 4 a.m., Jesus has been talking to me. No shrimp on the barbie. She didn't say that. I just had to say that. If you're, I had to say that. The Lord's been talking to me. He's been dealing with my heart. He's been, I don't know why my Christine Kane sounds like a pirate. I don't know why. I'm sorry. He's been talking to me. 4 a.m. The Lord wakes me up and I've been praying for the last four months. From 4 a.m. to 8 a.m., the Lord's been dealing with me. I've been devoting my time to Jesus. That's how it came across to me. Because outside, I was going, oh, hallelujah. On the inside, I was going, 4 a.m. to 8 a.m.? I quit, God. I can't even stay focused on my one-year Bible. I read it, and then I I forget what I was reading because I was thinking about something else. And then I try to act like I was into it, and you're the Holy Spirit, and you know I forgot what I was reading, and I have to go back because I don't understand Leviticus. I don't get it, God. I don't know why, who begat who. It doesn't matter. My ADHD kicks in a little bit. You guys, you guys know what ADHD is? It's attention deficit. Hey, look at the butterflies. I mean, that's exactly. <laughs> it's me in my study time. It hit me, I'm sitting on the front row, I'm a real talk, I'm sitting on the front row, I'm a pastor, man, I'm a preacher, I'm sitting on the front row, and the outside of me saying, praise God, the inside seriously is going, God, really? This lady's studying four hours every morning? I don't even know what four o'clock looks like unless my baby's screaming, and then I'm praying that you'll put her to sleep. (laughs) 
You're trying to wake me up and I'm saying, not now, God, I have to sleep. We hit these, these, these moments in our life where we don't, we don't feel like God has called us to something greater. Preacher gets up and talks about greater and greater and we disqualify ourselves and we look at somebody else and say, now God has called him to something or God has called her to something greater. But let me tell you what Jesus said about you. John chapter 14 verse 12 says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me. Now who would that be? Who would Jesus be talking to there? This is one of those promises that transcends time and space and it's not just for the people that Jesus is directly talking to. It's for anybody who believes in him. The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. What is Jesus saying here? It begs the question, are you asking us to be greater than Jesus? No. If you think you can be greater than Jesus, whatever it is you're smoking, stop it. (laughs) Rehab. I told first service, this is not my notes, but, you know, I deal with young adults, so it causes me to talk differently a little. I don't know how I'm going to act whenever I'm like 58 or 72. I'll probably still be saying homeboy, and it'll be weird for everybody. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I talk about smoking stuff. I seriously, every now and then I have somebody come in like, bro, but you don't understand, bro. <laughs> God created it, bro. It's a plant. I'm like, hey, homie, poison ivy's a plant, too, but you don't roll it up and smoke it, dog, okay? I mean, come on. That was not even in my notes. That was just tailor-made for somebody in the room. I'm talking to somebody right now. Hallelujah. Somebody needed to hear that word today. You came for that word today. Hallelujah. All right, Jeremy, get back on your message here, homie. Is, is Jesus calling us to do greater miracles than he did? I don't, I don't think so because I don't know anybody who can walk on water. Be cool if you did. If I knew how to walk on water, I'd do it all the time. I'd be at the mall and be like, hey, I'm going to go over here to this store. See you all in a minute. Walk across the fountain. <laughs> People falling out. I'm like, my bad. Just great American cookie companies over here. I just got to, you know, didn't want to walk around. God's not calling us to do greater miracles and be greater than Him. By leaving and sending His Spirit to dwell in us, ordinary people, Jesus released a greater power on the inside of us so that we can do extraordinary things on an extraordinary scale. He's not asking us to be greater than Him. He's asking us to be greater with Him by the power of His Spirit that lives in us. Oh, man. I don't know about you. That fires me up, man. The problem is most days we barely get by, though. We don't recognize the power that's on the inside of us, and we definitely don't tap into it. (laughs) Have you ever heard somebody say, this is the most irrelevant, dumb statement? And if you say this, and I say this, so when I'm preaching to you and saying all these things, I'm preaching right back at me, too. But if you say this, you ought to cut it out of your vocabulary. Well, brother, brother, all we can do is pray. Brother, all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray? Prayer is the most powerful weapon in the arsenal of a believer. If all we can do is pray, that's all we need to do is pray and seek the... Come on, circle makers. Somebody ought to start drawing a circle around your issue and your situation and say, I believe that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask. 
I might need somebody to come to the organ. But most believers aren't in imminent danger of ruining their lives. They're in imminent danger of wasting them. Big dreams. But we get stuck in the starting blocks. Ready? Aim. 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 This happens in every area of our lives, in our relationships. Have you ever met somebody who has a brand new relationship? And they're all fired up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's so handsome. He's so cool. He's so cool. He's texting me. People of all ages get giddy. He's texting me. And they're ignoring you, having a conversation. You're invisible. Oh, that's good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you lost your job? Awesome. Okay. You just want to, you know. What's funny is the thing that you're excited about in the beginning, two years after you get married, it drives you crazy. In the beginning, she's like, oh, my God, you won't believe that. Susie, he's such a good listener. He just listens. He sits there, and I just talk and talk and talk about anything. He just listens. He just looks at me and listens. Two years later, she's like, he won't talk to me. He's like a stone. In the beginning of the relationship. <laughs> I apologize. Pastor Johnson will be back next week, and it will be deep. In the word. If you're a guy, it's like, bro, her laugh, it's beautiful. It's like water rippling over the rocks. It's like, when she laughs, people are like, is that an angel? Did an angel just, two years later, he's like, it's a donkey on crack. Ah, can't take her to a romantic comedy. She'll clear the theater. Please, for the love of God, don't tell her a joke. Please. I can't bear the sound of it. <laughs> it's this stalemate in relationships that causes boys to men to write songs like, we don't even talk anymore. <laughs> Some of you guys remember boys to men? Any, anybody, anybody, anybody remember Jodeci back in the day, Jodeci? You, you don't even have to know the lyrics to a Jodeci song. Just, oh, yeah, that's all you need right there. That, some of you don't even know. Don't Google them. It's okay. What happens in our relationships, in our parenting, in our job? Mediocrity sets in, and we begin to settle for baseline living, and good enough becomes good enough. But guess what? Good enough is not good enough in our relationships, and in our parenting, and in our career, and in our hopes, and our dreams, and especially not in our relationship with God. God has not called us to baseline and just good enough. He's called us to greater. And we've got to believe that God has called us to greater. You have to believe that God has a great plan for you. And I know what some of you are thinking, but you don't know my life. You don't understand my life. You don't understand what I'm going through. But most of us can quote Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, I come from a... Uh, Y'all don't know where I come from. I come from a background where we could preach it, man. Hey, he's unstoppable. He's unshakable. He's unmovable. He's unbreakable. There ain't nobody like Jesus. In your dark, dusty, dry desert, he's a deluge of deliverance. He may not come when you want him to, but he'll be there right on time. Say, can't nobody do me like Jesus. Okay, stop it. That's enough. 
I apologize for that, Pastor Johnson. I, you told me the second service was the crazy ones, and they're bringing out the crazy in me. <laughs> the funny thing is we, we, we know how to encourage other people. God's going to come through for you, sister. Just keep trusting it's going to be there. But believe it for ourselves? Oh, that's too much to ask. God hasn't called me to something greater. He's called somebody else to something greater. You've got to understand the context of this scripture. The context of this great plan that God has is found in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 4. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Wait a minute. These people who have a grandiose plan from God are in captivity? Yep. Who put them there? God. Why? Because he's so interested in them understanding how much he loves him that he needs to get their attention so that they can get his plan. Sometimes the path to prosperity, the path to vision, the path to life leads you right through the valley of chaos. And you just got to keep walking. You can't give up in the valley. Keep walking the mountains on the other side. Don't stop where you are. Keep going. God's got a vision for you and a plan for you. You've got to get it for yourself. You've got to start believing. It may be different for each of us. Maybe God's calling you to some major changes this year. Maybe God's calling you to finish the degree that you've never finished. Maybe God's calling you to start the business that you've never started. You've dreamed about it for years, but you've never started it. You've talked about it, and your wife is so sick of hearing you talk about it because she's like, well, do something. This is your year. Maybe this is the year that your marriage stops being one of those marriages where neither one of you are happy. And you stop saying, well, I guess we should just end it. No, go sit down and talk to a counselor. Sit down and talk to somebody who can help you. Do you realize that that when you sit down and you talk to somebody and they give you one or two little changes and you shift how you act, it can change everything in your marriage. Don't make me talk about mine. God has changed everything in our life. I don't have time to tell you about our testimony, but it's crazy. It's crazy what God has done. I'm not up here, a 36-year-old, but he don't know nothing. Let me tell you something. 13 years of marriage, 27 months of separation, living in separate houses, two kids at that time. Don't tell me. I know, I know something about a, a valley. I know something about everybody talking about you, but nobody caring. Everybody had an idea. Everybody had a plan. Everybody had something to say. But nobody walked up and said, Hey, I just want to wrap my arms around you. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to pray for you. Hey, let me tell you what you're... You know what you're hearing today? You're hearing a tour guide, baby. I'm not a travel agent. I'm not going to tell you where to go. I've walked there. I've walked that valley. I'm going to say, Don't stop right there. That's a trap. Keep going. One foot in front of the other. Somebody needed to hear this today. Keep going, man. God's called you to greater things. You don't have to understand everything. You just got to say, I'm going to open my heart. This isn't based on a formula. It's based on a promise. And here's the promise. God created you for more. And as you dream bigger, get ready. Hmm. The other night, I'm laying in bed. My wife's asleep. I'm laying there in bed and watch TV. And I click over and Batman's on. It was awesome. The old Batman. The old one. I got some pictures. Look, see? All right, now... There's been a bunch of Batmans. This is the Michael Keaton Batman. Anybody remember the Michael Keaton Batman? Anybody remember that one? Yeah, it was a good one. That was a good one. There was a Val Kilmer Batman. It was weird. Maybe you liked it. I'm sorry if you loved it. And then there was a George Clooney Batman. I don't know if you liked the... They, they, it was him and Robin. It was strange. I hope they never do that again. And then there's the Christian Bale Batman. And there's Christian Bale Batman. 
Okay, my favorite Batman, I know you don't care, but I, I have the microphone. My favorite Batman was the Michael Keaton Batman. Not because it was awesome, but because, because it was kind of slapstick. It was almost like, you know, kind of, and Jack Nicholson was the Joker. I mean, it was great. He was like, ha, 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 ha. It was like, yeah, that's awesome. And then it got scary. Christian Bale, it's scary. That Batman is scary. But as I'm watching the Michael Keaton Batman, something hits me. Something clicks in my brain. And I realize all of these Batman have a couple of things in common. Number one, they all have this grandiose plan for Gotham. They have a great idea. They have a great dream for what can happen in Gotham City. And every one of them has a Joker or a Riddler or a Mr. Freeze or a Poison Ivy. Every one of them has an enemy. Let me tell you something. If you'll grab a hold of this message today, you better be ready because the enemy's going to come against you. The enemy hates it whenever you dream what God's dreaming for you. He's going to fight you. He's going to fight you. He's not going to let you have it. Oh, there's your blessing. Okay, you can take it. No, he's going to fight you tooth and toenail. And here's why. Because every acre of kingdom territory will always be contested by the enemy. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Now, stop. I don't have time to preach that because here's what I want you to know. Just suffice it to say the devil cannot stop you. You know, I'm not one of those preachers who preaches all the time. You better watch out for the devil. If the word says greater is he that is in me, that punk better watch out for me. Because I'm going to walk in the authority of the Holy Ghost and I'm not scared to say that. Great, I'll, I'll pull that promise in and say greater is he that is in me. But here's what the enemy will do to you. The enemy will whisper to you. He's not some little pointy-tailed, little horns. <laughs> That's not the devil. The devil will saddle up, and he sometimes sounds like God. He'll just begin to trick you. Let me tell you something. If you believe that you're hearing the voice of God, and God speaks to you in condemnation, and God speaks to you in fear, and God tells you what you should have done, and what you should do, that ain't God. That's the enemy trying to imitate God. God always speaks in love. He always speaks in concern. He always speaks in care. He always speaks in grace. You know who your biggest enemy is? You. Biggest enemy of your dreams is right between your ears. Because you'll convince yourself of something that God's told you to do. You'll convince yourself that you'll never be able to do that. Oh, God, you couldn't have called me to that. I don't know about that. Let me just be real with you, man. God called me to... To Houston, Texas. To work at a church called Grace Church. To plant a church out of Grace Church, covered by Grace Church, for 20s and 30-somethings. We didn't know it was a church when we started it. We started with 47 people in Denny's. (laughs) Denny's. Mm. It's only good once a year. Unless you own a Denny's. God bless you. mm. Come on, waffles. And God began to grow that thing. But we went through ups and downs. We started in March of 2010. In October of 2010, Mitch, we had this service. I called it Come Together. We did the Beatles song. Come together right now over me. We made the noise. I can't make the noise. I've tried that before in the pulpit. It sounded like I cussed, so I had to be really careful with how I made that noise. Guess what? No, nobody came together, man. <laughs> We had like 90 people come together that night. I was like, all right, God bless you, sir, and you, ma'am. You two in the back, hallelujah. After that, I went to my office in the back. I sat down, and I wept, and I cried, and I told God. I said, God, if it dips down to nothing, you've called me to this city, and I'm going to do what you've called me to do no matter what the enemy does. And we built a church, man. 
Standing room only last night. We had people sitting two or three deep around the stage. I wasn't there. Last I was watching on the stream, my team was texting me, it's crazy out here. There's no more parking. People are in the over. We have an overflow room. It's not even good. We just have an overflow room. We had 30 people in the overflow room last night, 35 chairs up in the balcony, behind the back row. It was crazy what God's doing. A few weeks ago, we baptized 57 people. We don't have a filter on our baptismal tank. I was like, Holy Ghost, cover the water. <laughs> oh, shock the water, Jesus. Shock it. <laughs> but I'd love to tell you that I haven't felt down about our church since 2010, but that would be a lie because like six or eight weeks ago, I was up in the pulpit and I'm preaching and I'm preaching my face off in the pulpit. I'm just, ah! and in my head, it's my, my head is telling me these people aren't listening. You didn't study enough. You don't have this. This thing's going to fall apart. Nobody, literally two weeks ago, we're on the way to church and my wife looks at me and says, how do you feel about tonight? I said, I feel awful. She said, what? Because I'm a motivated guy until I'm not. I'm filled with faith until I'm not. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I don't feel like I have a good handle on this message. I don't, babe, I, we had had like close to 900 the week before. I said, babe, I don't even know if anybody's going to show up tonight. She was like, oh, man, God's going to bless. He's going to bless. Killer crowd. It was awesome. In the middle of my preaching, I, I've literally, when I finished preaching before our worship team has started, people are praying. I've walked off the stage, Pastor, to a little cubby hole over here on this side, and I've got down on my knees, and I've begged God to forgive me because I didn't feel like I did a good job. I felt like I, I just, God, I didn't carry it tonight. Why am I telling you that? Am I just a depressed dude? No. Most of the time, I'm crazy motivated. I drive people crazy with how excited I am. I'll only be here today. You won't have to put up with this next week. Some of y'all are going, thank God, my heart rate is racing. <laughs> Slow the pacemaker down, Jim. He'll be gone in a minute. <laughs> Sorry about that. Bad joke. If you've ever been called to do anything greater and you feel like you're supposed to do something greater, your own mind is going to attack you at times. You, you look at this church. You look around. Look, I want you to look around. I want you to look at all the people here. Guess what? There's a whole different group of people here in first service. And it was rocking. Don't, you cannot tell me that there haven't been moments that this pastor and his wife haven't got together and said, all right, we got to pray through this. God's called us to this city. We're going to make it. He's one of the most encouraging men that I've ever met. Going to hug you, going to love on you, going to wrap you up. Come here, son. Come here, Bubba. Calls me Bubba. Come here going to hug on you, but you can't tell me that he doesn't have moments of sheer pain and sheer terror going, oh God, we got to do something. He was telling me today, we got to figure something. We got to put more people. We got to do something. We got to build a building. We got to do something. I love that vision. Some of you don't know the, the story of pain that he's walked through to build what God's called him to build. Because when you get called to a greater anointing, you'll get fought for it. The enemy will prepare a trap and prepare a plan to try to make you fall. There are days when the enemy's going to fight you with condemnation. He's going to tell you you're not good enough. God would never call you to do that because nobody really knows what kind of person you are. The secret sins, the family dysfunctions, nobody knows that you need voice control. You ought to calm down a little bit. Give your kids the best gift that you could give them. Anger management therapy for you. 
The enemy will whip on you. I call it the righteous whip. He'll take a big old Indiana Jones size whip and he'll hit you one time telling you you're not good enough and you'll embrace that thing and then he lets the whip go and lets you have it and you will beat yourself down and he can just walk away and move on to the next person. And you'll keep yourself, you'll disqualify your own mind. I'm, I'm talking to somebody in the room right now. You will disqualify yourself from the things that God has already promised you. You'll spend 40 years walking around in a desert when the border of the promised land is right there. You'll make it a way of life and God will provide for you in the desert because he loves you. But he didn't call you to be a desert dweller. He called you to walk into the promised land. You might have to fight some giants, but there's a victory on the other side. You just got to keep walking. You need, to get, you need to get this. Nobody does greater things for God because they've got it all together and nobody's disqualified because they don't. God doesn't do greater things exclusively through great people. That's why I could use Moses the murderer and Samson the womanizer and Jacob the liar. My favorite, David. David, is, he's king. He's the only man in his time who had been God anointed and God called. He's the king that God chose. He's in God's plan. He's in God's will. And then when a time, this is what the scripture says, in a time when kings were supposed to be off to war, David sent his men and he stayed home. And somehow he found himself on the top of his palace and he's looking down and there's a woman on another building taking a bath and David's up here watching Showtime while his men are all fighting. Come on, somebody, help me preach. Calls for the lady, commits adultery with her, and then has her husband killed. Oh, and he was a man after God's own heart. Don't tell me you've done too much or you've ran too far, or if you've sinned too much, you've got too many mistakes. If God has called you to something greater, he'll find a way to redeem you and still walk his plan out through your life. You just got to keep walking. You just got to keep walking. Musicians, you guys can come. It's a really ordinary guy in the book of 1 Kings. His name's Elisha. Now, it's not Elijah. Many times, we get all those confused, Elijah, Elisha, but Elijah is the prophet that most pastors preach about. He's the one who had such God confidence that whenever he said it's not going to rain, it didn't rain for three years. And then whenever he said it was going to rain, he called all of the enemy prophets of God, the prophets of Baal, he called them all up onto a mountain. He said, you build an altar, I'll build an altar. You pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. Whichever God answers by fire, that's the one true God. And you can go first. He was that confident. They start praying. 450 of them praying, crying, cutting themselves. If you don't believe that God has a sense of humor, you, you should read this story. He starts, Elijah starts picking on them. He's like, hey, did you call and schedule a time with your God? Maybe he's on vacation. <laughs> scream louder. He's probably asleep. Scream, scream. You've got to know those prophets hated this guy. And then finally, when they're exhausted, standing around their, their little altar, they look at him and say, okay, it's your turn. He goes, me, I go, I go, you sure? You sure? I mean, I'll give you more time. It's good. I'm good. Got all day. They're like, okay. He goes, okay, cool. Watch this. He builds an altar. He puts a sacrifice on top of it. He digs a trench around it. He pours water, 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 water all over it. Stands back, prays a one-paragraph prayer, and the heavens open up. Fire falls from heaven and eats up the sacrifice, the altar, and all the water. And then he turns around and he goes, yeah, sucker. That's what it says. Don't look that part of it. <laughs> it. It doesn't say that part. I'm sorry about that. That was that was first. That was first Jeremy chapter eighteen. 
While all of this is happening, while Elijah is doing grandiose things for God on the backside of a farm somewhere, Elisha is, is uh, plowing the ground behind 12 yoke of oxen, which is 24 bovine. Don't know if you know anything about bovine, not clean animals. Especially when you're walking behind them. Got to understand, he probably dressed for his first day of work. Mark Jacob's robe, he's jamming. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hello, hello. They're leaving him gifts. You know, they're dropping things for him in the trail. Why are you making that graphic? Because you need to understand what this man was walking through. He's walking through it. Stepping in it. After a while, it's a way of life. It's caked on his face, his nostrils. He's gotten used to the smell. You don't get used to that smell. You ever been at the cow farm? Driving down the interstate, and cow truck passes. Oh, dear God. Get in front of him, Martha. Get in front of him. We're downwind. Turn off the vent. Turn it on recycle there. Hurry. He's walking behind. You got to know, he's probably thinking, thanks, God. When I was looking for a job in the classifieds, this was not the idea I had. And all the while, he's plowing. God's got a plan. I was 19 years old. Had a great, I'm a, I've always been an opportunist. Had, had a man come to me and he was 19. He said, I like you. You want to start a business? I said, yeah. We started a business. He poured over $100,000 into me. And let me tell you the idea I had. I was like, oh, baby. I'm going to be 19. I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 21. I was for real. I was, I was ready. I was going to have 150 people working for me. It's going to be crazy. I was in Baton Rouge. I mean, it was perfect. Guess how many employees I had? Oh, no. I was the receptionist, Southern Solar Incorporated. How may I help you? Yeah, I'd like to speak to an installer. Hold, please. Click, click. Yeah, how can I help you? (laughs) Man, I I could see the money coming in. We stayed in the red constantly. We never got out of the red. We sold the business for a loss. I owned it three years. Broke. Failure. God, why didn't you give me success? It took me years to understand that God wasn't calling me to success at that time. He was calling me to routine and consistency. Just keep plowing. No matter what's going on, just keep plowing. I know you don't see success. Just keep plowing. Because he knew that in October of 2010, I'd need something that he planted in me whenever I was 19 to walk through a field and just keep plowing. Because while Elisha is behind 24 oxen eating dirt every day, he's plowing. God's on the backside of a mountain with an old prophet talking about Elisha's future. He's plowing what's getting ready to be his past. So this begs the question, how are you going to respond whenever God's destiny intersects with your destination? This, this is not a book about destiny. It's a book about decisions. You got to make a choice. Nothing glamorous about Elisha. 1 Kings 19, 19. So he departed from there. This is Elijah. And he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him and kept walking. Sometimes the anointing's not going to stop for coffee. You got to be ready. God calls you, start walking. What's your response going to be? God, oh, pastor. Hey, 
you were right. These people are awesome to preach to. My Lord, have mercy. I can't believe you let me in the pulpit. Thank you. I'd want to be in this pulpit every weekend. You people are amazing. You know what? God put a man and his wife here. I've listened to you preach my whole life. I thank God that you're such a visionary. You got a great team. You guys are doing awesome. Look at these people. What an incredible church. You got a choice to make, though. God's called you to greater things. Can't get comfortable with it. Oh, we got a packed house. Okay. There's more people in this city who need God. We got to do something greater. I love it. He's pushing already, pushing. Got to make a decision. How are you going to respond? And I love Elisha's response. The mantle is cast, and Elisha runs after the prophet. The prophet says, go, go back. I didn't, what have I done to you? Sometimes that'll throw some of us off. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought God called me to do that. If God called you to do it, you might have to walk through some opposition sometime. Square your shoulders back and say, God's called me to do something. You know what he did? We don't have time to preach this, but he went back. He slaughtered the oxen. It was probably the oxen that were right in front of him. Don't you think? That last row. He's just sick of them. You two are the ones that are going to die. He built a fire using the plow. Why would he use the plow? Here's why. Because he burned the only thing that he could go back to. And sometimes you and I need to burn the stuff that we could go back to and walk into the thing that God has called us to walk into. Listen, you can't go to where God's called you standing where you are. Journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Big dreams. Small start. Got to start somewhere. Where are you going to start? Terry Burrell. Met her in 2009. That's Terry. That's her son, Jalen. Terry helped us start the 429. At that time, she was very timid. She came to my wife. She said, hey, I want to be involved. What can I do? Where do you guys need me? We had a coffee bar in the lobby before and after service. Jennifer said, help in the coffee bar. She said, I can do that. She helped in the coffee bar. She was horrible. <laughs> but she was fired up to help. Just whatever I can do. Whatever I can do. Just want to help. She worked in the coffee bar for, I don't know, five or six months. And then she said, I, I need to tell you something. My wife, I need to tell you something. Jennifer said, okay. She said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you. I'm afraid of what you'll think about me. And Jennifer said, don't, you got to understand. We love you no matter what. We love you. Tell me. She said, are you sure you're not going to think different of me? No. Um, I used to be a stripper. Jennifer said, okay. Really? Yeah. For eight years. Okay. In San Diego and Houston. Some of the finest clubs in Houston. Okay. I was addicted. You don't understand. I was addicted to the money. Once I got addicted to the money, I couldn't stop. They, I, I, I did it just for one night to just get my rent. I made more than my rent in one night. And then I got addicted to it. And then I got addicted. I was, I was addicted to alcohol. I drank a bottle of Hennessy every night. And then whenever I, the Hennessy was gone, I would take cocaine to stay awake. And then in the morning, whenever I got home, took my baby to school, I took something to make me go to sleep. I was addicted to drugs. I, I'm sorry. And Jennifer said, it's okay. Everybody's got a past. God forgives you, loves you, cares for you. It's okay. It doesn't matter. If you knew all the past that the people in here have, blow your mind. Terry said, okay, well, I told you that to tell you this. Jennifer said, oh, dear God. 
Terry started crying. She said, I've got a burden. But the girls in our city are trapped in that lifestyle. They don't know that there's a place where people love them. They don't know that God cares. They they won't even darken the doors of a church because they're scared of what the people will say. They don't know that there's a God who loves them now. She said, I want to reach into the clubs and reach those girls. And Jennifer said, great. Let's go talk to Jeremy. She's like, what is he going to say? She said, he's going to say, do it. She came to me and she timidly told me, I said, yeah, it's awesome. That's great. We laid it out at the 429. We had like 80 guys volunteer for the ministry. We're like, no, 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 sir, no. You will be an usher, my friend. Actually, no. You will be in the park. No, just no. They began to reach out. They went into their first club. They took a bunch of gift bags, said unconditional love on them. They, they brought them to these girls. They walked in. The club owners were like, what are you doing here? We're here to give love. Okay, come on in. That's what we do here. They wore these shirts and said unconditional love. And they passed them out to these girls. These girls couldn't believe it. What are you doing here? Why are you here? No reason. You believe we're sinners? No, we just love you. What? You would tell them, no, we just love you? No, that's not what we're here for. Jesus didn't walk into the house of Zacchaeus going, now sinner! He said, hey, let's go eat. Let's go get some chicken and sweet tea, homie. She called me last year, 2 o'clock in the morning. Pastor, I woke up trying to sound awake. She goes, Pastor, you won't believe it, Pastor. Oh, my God, you won't believe it. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm afraid somebody's getting shot. She said, we just went into Treasures. And she said, you won't believe what happened. She said, they let us, the club owner let us go into the dressing room in between sets with all of the girls. And she said, we stood there and we held hands with 17 strippers and we prayed over them. And they all had to redo their makeup because they were crying. God moved in the strip club. Wait, can he do that? Yes. He's got greater things for us to do. We just got to go. 2011, showing the next picture, met a girl named Stacy. That girl on the far left, her name is Stacy. Stacy was stripping in 2011. She, she was addicted to the lifestyle, the money, couldn't get away from it. She found unconditional love on Facebook and said, there's a way out. She contacted Terry. Terry said, yes. She came to the 429. We baptized her. And God has changed her life. And now she has the job that she's always wanted. Go go back to the other slide. And see what you don't know is that lady in the middle. Her name's Sherry Williams. This was taken just last week. Sherry Williams is the anchor for the CBS affiliate. Caught wind of the story. They're doing a feature on unconditional love ministries. Sherry's a believer. She came to our church last week. She said, there's strippers all over this city who need to hear this story. And we're going to give it a stage to reach 5 million people. Yes. Big dream. Small start. Big dream. Small start. What is your start today? You got to start. You got to start somehow. You got to start some way. You got to start. Don't just talk a big game. Start a game. Start. Sometimes it starts with a step.
Today, I'm going to give you, a, give you an opportunity in just a minute to step out from where you are and come down to the front, all over the room. Even if you can't get all the way down here, that's okay. And here's why. Because the, spirit, the spiritual oftentimes mirrors the physical. And spiritually, if you need to take a step, sometimes it takes you. Do you know why we lift our hands? You know why? It's an international sign of submission. I got nothing. Somebody sticks a gun in your face, unless you're Chuck Norris. Hands are up. <laughs> I'm sorry, I may be serious. Hands are up. Why? We're showing God. God, I can't do it without you. So today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, if you need to take a step anywhere in your life, I'm going to ask you to actually take one. Physically go. Okay. I'm going to step out and I'm going to come down as close as I can. And I'm just going to believe, God, that you can do it. Will you stand with me right now? Let me pray over you. And as I'm praying, if you want to step out and come down, you're welcome to do that right now. God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for this incredible group of believers. I thank you for this amazing church, for these pastors, for this pastoral team, and for every person under the sound of my voice, God. I know that today you brought somebody here that has a broken heart. They have a broken dream. They thought their dream was dead, and today they heard life coming back into their dream. Life coming back into their finances, coming back into their marriage, their unsaved kids. They're starting to dream again that, hey, maybe my babies aren't lost forever. I thank you, God, for each and every person, and today I pray that you would begin to blow the winds of life, blow the winds of peace our way, God. Help us to believe again that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.